uh, and once again, some of it's not bad. I mean, the movie industry used to be the tall poppy syndrome. Uh, yeah. Frank Capra, I mean, all the cowboy movies were based on what you were talking about was the rugged individualism and kind of our move west. And, you know, um, Jefferson was the one that sent out Lewis and Clark to open the West, and he was the original farmer and the individualist and the farmer citizen. And he he never could envision how rapidly that land would be gobbled up yeah. and the population would multiply so that we've lost the his concept of the individual citizen and and his um as a good citizen his individualism was good for society but in in the movie industry in the old movie industry uh where cowboys were prevalent it was the cowboy uh cutting down the bad guy uh, which now we don't even know if we have a legal system that cuts down the bad guy anymore. But you would um, the cow the good guy cowboy would shoot the bad guy cowboy, and so the and the bad cowboy was usually the lazy guy who wouldn't work. He would rob a bank or he wouldn't build a cattle ranch himself. He would steal cattle, so he had bad envy. And the good guy was the cowboy that worked hard and, and eventually cut that person down. And when that happened, what happens to people? They feel good. They feel justified. They go out of the movie theater feeling very good. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we are speaking with Doug Garland. Doug Garland used to work as a orthopedic surgeon for 37 years, but he's transitioned into writing books now, so he's an author and also he is doing research on tall poppy syndrome. Doug, could you please introduce yourself? Let people know just a little more about you, please. Uh, I'm a retired orthopedic surgeon presently living in the central coast of California. I practiced orthopedic surgery in LA for 37 years. I was a full clinical professor at... Um, University of Southern California and published around 120 peer scientific reviewed articles. So I have a heavy research background and I retired eight years ago and I actually had happened to me what I think is common in America, but unrecognized was I was what we now call tall poppy. 
meaning I had a, uh, I was actually the president of the American Spinal Injury Association at that time. I came back to my corner office with the big window and they had moved my office from the premier office to a little cubby hole. And I was actually going to spend six weeks in Australia uh, reviewing their spinal cord injury programs. They had six. I was going to do a week at each. And when I resigned my position at the hospital, I canceled everything, my appointments. And I called the people up in Australia and told them that I wasn't coming and they wanted to know why. And then they go, well, my goodness, you've been tall poppy. And that was about 10 years ago. And that, that, word just stuck in my mouth, my head so much, I, I couldn't wrap my arms around it. I had gone home and told my wife what happened. And she said, well, you know, uh, they're really telling you that your time's up and it's time they've moved your cheese. It's time for you to move on. So that was really good advice. And I have to say, if it hadn't been for my wife, I probably would have done what most people would do is go back and have a big contest, what I call a pissing contest and see if I can't get my position back in my office and this and that. But fortunately, I went back up and and just put my keys on my desk, threw all my research away, took down all the accolades from the walls and walked out the door and never looked back. And But it, I finished uh, my years in private practice. And then once I retired, I had time really to think about the tall poppy syndrome and and um, since I have a research background, uh, that, then I began a, essentially a 10-year study now on the tall poppy syndrome. The lack of it in America and the abundance of it uh, throughout the world. I, so I began with the, when it was first described. But one thing we need to, before we get too far, is the tall poppy syndrome is a metaphor for seeing a poppy fields. And you see one or two or more poppies taller than the rest, and you want to cut that poppy down so that everybody's equal. And I thought at the time that uh, my message was very important for America, and actually the premise of the book was was that uh, our individualism uh, from our constitution and now culture was preventing maybe the tall poppy syndrome from occurring in America, that we didn't cut our tall poppies down, we worshiped them. Eventually, uh, through the course of my studies, I actually had to change that. I actually ch changed the book considerably because I'd done a lot of research on individualism and how it affected America positively. But in the end, the individualism and really were a meritocracy. We were a meritocracy. That is really going by the wayside. I'm not going to argue whether that's good or bad. I, I will argue that tall poppies are important. We need the Elon Musk of the world or society doesn't advance. But uh, I felt that the message was very timely. But when I looked at America and our meritocracy, I thought our meritocracy was driving the tall poppy syndrome. And, and we have more tall poppies than any other country in the world. And many of them are cut down. It just we don't have that phrase and we don't pursue that and understand the emotions 
and the context of why that happens and the behavior of either the cutter or the tall poppy. So that's eventually what my book evolved into. And I had to conclude that I felt that the tall poppy syndrome was more prevalent in America than any country in the world, but it remains unrecognized. And as a physician, most of the studies come from Australia because that country was formed um, as a penal colony for England. And of course, in the prison system, everybody's equal. And I have to tell you, in the prison system, if it's not equal, there's more tall poppy syndrome in the prison than anywhere else in the world. Because if somebody has a toothbrush and somebody else doesn't, it drives everybody crazy. So that's, that's why right. even though the people, the Australian people are prideful with their egalitarianism, they still are ranked as the most envious people in the world because it does have a tendency to drive them crazy if somebody is better than they are. And that's why if you look in the English literature, the tall poppy syndrome is most prevalent in Australia of all our English-speaking countries. But it's prominent, uh, well-recognized in England, of course, New Zealand as well, but New England or England and Canada as well. But still unrecognized here. And uh, I started to talk about the professionalism. They claim the professions are uh, free of it in, in uh, Australia. But when I look at our professionalism here, uh, I, I feel it's it's worse than the public because our professionals are very competitive. They're competitive to get into their schools or competitive in schools. And that same competition persists. I mean, if you're a lawyer and you have a case, you have a 50-50 chance of winning or losing. So, of course, that's going to create competition. And still the easiest way to, to win, and it's, you just think of politics, the easiest way to win is to cut somebody else down, not to improve yourself. So yeah. that's the concept of the tall poppy syndrome. And if you want, you might have a question or two, but we can go into how I broke the syndrome down and the dynamics of looking at the emotional makeup of, of tall poppies and, and the cutters that cut them down. Yeah, I, excuse me. I found it pretty fascinating when this came across as a potential guest. It is something that I've been looking at for quite some time, this syndrome that's known as tall poppy syndrome. America, like you stated earlier, we've always been this individualist, you know, and and really before World War II, we've been agrarian people kind of isolated and you know we we really took upon ourselves the nature of the rugged individual and self-sustainability we don't find that anymore today and it's it's really alarming and i'm glad that you're bringing this up so we can highlight the awareness more about tall poppy syndrome Let's let's get into the details of what you've found. And through your research, have you found that this is a generational curve thing where it it comes upon a nation and then 
because if you look at the fall of Rome, is this why Rome fell? Uh, let's get into some of the details of it. Well, that's what happens to all societies. I mean, all societies fail. And one of the reasons, the main reason, there's two, two reasons. Uh, one is uh, they get lazy and they get prideful. And, and essentially, America is doing that. We don't want to work very hard. We want government handouts. We we're losing our meritocracy and we're taking people down to in order to not have to work hard ourselves and improve ourselves. So I mean I got into medical school and the whole application process is completely different now. And we want to get rid of ACTs tests and and SAT tests and you know the colleges are dropping. They don't want to even be competitive to get the good students. When I went to school. It was the best of the best. We had five to 7,000 applications to our medical school and only 78 got in. So, I mean, the competition was intense. And of course, um, I would think that we got the best students, but th that's all drifting away from America. But it's, you know, that's happened in Europe. We're actually following how Europe is, is kind of fallen from their their greatness, so to speak. They're they're becoming very mediocre, mediocre. And we're we're taking that same path. And as I'm it's hard, it's hard to stay on top, just like it is in, in athletics. You know, it's hard to be number one year after year after year. Uh, everybody gets complacent. The most common cause of the fall of the tall poppy in my studies has been pride. You know, you get hubris and and you get to the top and then you quit working and you work more on cutting other people down than you do on improving yourself. So, I mean, it happens in the business. The most common cause for a business to failure is pridefulness, either pride in the CEO or pride within the company that they just think they're better than everybody else and they quit improving their products. They just steamroll it with marketing or something else, but they forget the first the customer, but also their product that initially got them there. So let's go back and um, so the tall poppy syndrome was uh, first described in Greece by Herodotus, the Greek historian. And when you think about it, Socrates was tall poppy and they came next to uh, Livy in Rome, who was the great historian there, uh, Herodotus used wheat to do the metaphor, but Livy was the first one to do actually the poppy itself. And it was in the context of uh, the, from 750 BC to 500 BC, Rome was actually ruled by kingdoms. And in the seventh kingdom was Tarquin the Proud. And that name itself is going to tell you what's going to happen because he cuts himself down because of his pride, and that's his rule is the end of the kingdomship in Rome. But he had a son, Sextus, who was at the neighboring town governing it, and he was um, having having difficulty governing. So he sent a messenger back to his dad. His dad walked into a poppy field and lopped off the tall heads. So the 
um, the son knew exactly what he needed to do was level the heads of all the people that opposed him. Now, it's, it's described both in Greece and in, in Rome, in government situations, and lopping off the heads of the competition within society. And that's continued from the time those two countries or rulers did that into the present day. If you look what's happening in China now with with Xi is is um, lopping off the heads of the opposing people as he assumes his third term. And in the first emperor did that, the first emperor of China, and Genghis Khan was a very, very big leveler. Genghis Khan was, when he conquered a village, if anybody was taller than the axle uh, of the wheel, they were lopped off. He didn't want any old people thinking of old ideas. He wanted fresh minds that he, he could impress his rule upon. So it's continued. I found it in every society with a different name, maybe a different cultural context, but it's been present throughout the world almost from the beginning. So the first thing, that's the first thing you have to understand that everybody's aware of it, but us. The second thing is in order to be cut down, you need don't need to be a tall poppy. So I broke it down into peer to peer. And that means that it's private, what I also call private, and it occurs within your tribe so that it occurs within the first if occurs in your family. Remember that your most parents try to keep everybody equal. There were seven in my family, and my parents worked very hard not to favor one person over another. The Christmas presents were all the same price. They might be different presents, but the range was always the same. So it begins in, in the um, family. It's accelerated in schools, especially now. Now you don't have a valedictorian. Now you don't have the trophy winner. Everybody gets the trophy. So we've ended the competition and the meritocracy in, in many of our schools. I don't even know if we have elite schools anymore. You have to check boxes to get in, not to get in on yeah. your merit. And and then it continues in the business world, it continues in your profession. So it's present throughout um, our upbringing and in our tribe. And the first emotion that becomes some involved and the most prominent is envy. envy I break envy. Psychologists look at all the emotions differently in different ways. I like the simple way of a positive and a good emotion positive and bad in a emotion. So envy is a good emotion. If you use envy, if you covet something that somebody else has and you desire, the positive way is to try and improve yourself and be like that person. Just like I like Michael Jordan. I like Mike, so I want to be like Mike. I'm going to work hard and try and do everything he, he does and try and do everything as well. The bad envy is you your self-esteem is not great. So rather than, in try and you think you can't improve yourself, so you cut that person down instead of trying to improve yourself. That happens in the family. If you look at the Bible, it happened in Cain and Abel, right out, right out, we just start the Bible and there's Cain and Abel. And within the family, somebody's actually being killed or literally and figuratively being cut down. 
So that's the peer. So the cutter emotion, main emotion is bad envy, but of course, anger. And we mentioned earlier, uh, laziness, you just you just don't want to work as hard as, as the next person, either in your family, in your school, in your job. So rather than improve yourself, you try and cut that person down. So that's the three, three main emotions that I found in the cutter. And that's, that's what's pervasive in the peer-to-peer. -peer. You don't have to be a tall poppy. And that's what's going on every day. That's what, ha that's what the internet is all about. All these selfies, you know, you yeah. and I, I don't know your age, but when we grew up, we didn't have phones. And when I've personally never taken a picture of myself, uh, I mean, so yeah. it's all about going to out with your friends, taking a picture, flashing it to the person that's back home who, for whatever reason, and kind of saying, look at how great we are. We're having this great time in your home being an idiot. So yeah, uh, that's kind of the nutshell of the, Tall poppy syndrome in the peer-to-peer, -peer or how it works out in in our tribes. The public tall poppy syndrome is a different concept. You have a true tall poppy, and those and the cutter in this instance gets to cut down the tall poppy because they feel justified, which is a key concept. The cutter makes a decision, a conscious decision that that tall poppy doesn't deserve to be that tall poppy. This is an important concept, which we're going to come back to. But what makes the cutter make that determination is egregious activity of the tall poppy. And what are those egregious actions? The three most common are pride, hubris, uh, lust and greed and if you look at all the media types that the harvey weinsteins and and the media matt lauer and the people that have been cut down in the media business it's all it's almost all three of those combined but as i mentioned earlier ceos of companies i mean steve jobs was very prideful and you know he was cut down and this the board cut Steve off the off the CEO position of Apple the first time around. Of course, he he did some tremendous growing. And and when I re I have a chapter of tall poppies, every tall poppy that I reviewed uh, were was or every tall people that I considered a tall poppy, every one of those people were cut down sometime during their career. And one um they may have been ahead of the time and were not doing egregious activity, but their role size was so out of proportion that people wanted to cut them down, but most of them were prideful. And then they get that interim time to do some self-reflection and they grow from that experience. And I actually had it happen to me. I grew tremendously from my being tall poppied, even though I left that position, when I finished my practice up, I, I actually became head of the joint program in our hospital. I set everything up the way I ran the spinal cord injury unit. And I, I acted very differently than, than I had acted as uh, head of our spinal cord injury program. So most people that do get cut down have the potential to grow and come back stronger. So just getting cut down is not necessarily a bad thing. 
but th those are the three things uh, that happen to the prideful or to the tall poppy that they do something egregious and then the public thinks they have the right and this is important the right to to cut them down so here's where it's really led so that's that's the private versus public the emotions involved in the um cutter and the emotions that are involved in the egregious activity of the tall poppy actually those are six of the seven deadly sins so you have laziness envy and anger those are in the cutter and within the egregious activity of the tall poppy you have pride lust and greed and the only one you're missing is um gluttony so why is that important well it's just a memory aid mostly but it's an important concept because i mean this is a christian thing which is also what america was sort of birthed on as well as this whole individualism concept and in christianity instead of thinking of emotions as positive positive and negative we look at virtues so the opposite of envy would be kindness so if you are cut down or see you need to look at your behavior and maybe look figure out what emotion was involved if you i like the positive negative aspects but if you look at the Christian aspect, it's it's the virtue. Look for the opposing virtue. And why this is important is just as my thinking has evolved in trying to make a nice package so people understand this really complex metaphor, is that Buddha has this very important concept. He has, uh, in the emotional makeup, he has the near and far enemies. So if you think if you think of England and kingdom, uh, the far enemy would have been France, and you knew that enemy. But if you remember all kings and queens, who, who do they usually get taken down by? It's the near enemy. It's somebody within, within them that poisons them, somebody they think is their friend. So how this involves a tall poppy syndrome we become a, we we become a justified nation we think we have the right to justify cutting everybody down because they're a tall poppy so we've taken that justification of the cutter and applied that to our society and the the moral equivalent is righteous indignation that's the justification and the moral authority to cut somebody down but the near enemy to that is self-righteousness and they don't have that moral justification they, they they have their thinking is not right they don't have the science behind it or the moral justice but if you look at our society now we're social warriors and most of it is self-righteousness. It's not righteous indignation. So that's what's driving a lot of our movements in America, which is what's really tearing our country apart. 
So that's this full circle of the it's part of the, that's actually the the movements movements occur because of injustice and movements are important because it's only with groupthink that you can often resolve injustices because those in power never give anything up easily. So it takes a village to change that. So in and of itself, the the movement is a good thing. But my impression of American movements at this particular time, whether it's environmentalism or racism or women's uh, liberationism, whatever whatever it is, I feel that there's more self-righteousness in it than there is righteous indignation. And, and in moving towards their goal, there's a tremendous amount of collateral damage happening in our country, which I think is, is driving a lot of bad things. So yeah. that's kind of the journey. You can ask me some specific questions about it, but how my thinking and how I look at American society over this 10 years of studying, what I did to write the book was um, I took periodicals. I took the New York Times. I took Time Magazine. I took uh, LA Times, Wall Street Journal. Plus just looking at the internet and every day, I would look for examples of the tall poppy syndrome. And guess what? In a country um, that we're not supposed to have the tall poppy syndrome, I see the tall poppy syndrome every day. I, I do. Yeah. Uh, I have a tweet account, and and that's usually what I do when I see an example of the tall poppy syndrome. I tweet it out with my explanation of why why I think it's an example of the tall poppy syndrome. So my tweets at tall poppy book, but um, every day I see examples of the tall poppy syndrome. And I don't do a lot of TV. Yeah. I don't, it's kind of depressing. So I don't look at TV, but I know if I did TV, I would really see a lot of it because TV yeah. is full of the tall poppy syndrome. And, and th this uh, and once again, some of it's not bad. I mean, the movie industry used to be the tall poppy syndrome. Uh, yeah. Frank Capra, I mean, all the cowboy movies were based on what you were talking about was the rugged individualism and kind of our move west. And, you know, um, Jefferson was the one that sent out Lewis and Clark to open the West. And he was the original farmer and the individualist and the farmer citizen and he he never could envision how rapidly that land would be gobbled up yeah. and the population would multiply so that we've lost the his concept of the individual citizen and and his um as a good citizen his individualism was good for society but in, in the movie industry, in the old movie industry, uh, where cowboys were prevalent, it was the cowboy uh, cutting down the bad guy, uh, which now we don't even know if we have a legal system that cuts down the bad guy anymore. But you would, um, the cow, the good guy cowboy would shoot the bad guy cowboy. And so the, and the bad cowboy was usually the lazy guy who wouldn't work. He would rob a bank or 
he wouldn't build a cattle ranch himself. He would steal cattle, so he had bad envy. And the good guy was the cowboy that worked hard and, and eventually cut that person down. And when that happened, what happens to people? They feel good. They feel justified. They go out of the movie theater feeling very good. On the other hand, you could have the um, emotion called schadenfreude. Do you know that that word, schadenfreude? So schaden Only from researching you. Very so, interesting, though. So the schadenfreude is a German word. Germans are actually interesting. They have a limited, like some cultures um, can't make words up, so they take words that they have existing and make two or even take three three previous words and make a new word out of it. So it's actually pain and joy, shada and freude, shadden and freude. And they combine that and make schadenfreude. And that means having, uh, you have joy from somebody else's pain. So the movie industry is still giving us that having fun at somebody else's expense, but it's not the black and white of the old cowboy movies. It's a different moral take kind of updating where our society is, I think. But somehow there's a twist so that you, in the end, you get joy out of taking somebody else down or their pain, not necessarily even if it was justified, but more to what I now call the self-righteousness. So it has to do with your your bias and that brings into the third part of the tall poppy syndrome is having everything in context and you're observing society as i do and trying not to have your own bias involved in the decision making role that you're deciding on who's wrong in this situation the the cutter is it bad envy that's driving it, or is it pridefulness of the tall poppy? So you're you're going to make a decision. And the book itself actually became more of a self-help book uh, because it involves the emotion. And in understanding the tall poppy syndrome, you have to understand emotions. And as you understand emotions, then you yourself should grow, just like I hope you're growing as we're having this discussion and understanding society, but your role in society, and you understand yourself better by understanding this metaphor. And the, you know, the bully is never, if you're a bully when you start in grade school, in the family, older brother, older sister, that carries into your school years. And if that worked in school, guess what? That continues to work for you through your life. And unless, you have insight to that, you're not going to change. So it has to be somebody like us seeing that and calling it out and sort of cutting them down, whether it's the peer-to-peer -peer or, or egregious. So certainly there's a lot of tall poppies that in the end are bullies. Steve Jobs, I think, um, Bill Gates, in their early years, they were prideful, but they were also bullies. And it's only, there's a certain sociopathic tendency in the especially the dot-com 
people that founded those companies early on. And then as they grow, as they grow, usually by the age of 40, they become very more altruistic. So it's partly a natural evolution, but also it's people like the board calling Steve Jobs out. And that gave him time to step back and reevaluate who he was and what he had done and where he needed to go. And, you know, he had tremendous self-growth during that time period, founded two more companies, came back to Apple and really made a huge contribution to the world. I mean, he was truly a tall poppy. So uh, this schadenfreude then is now occurring when we, I mean, I don't want to get into Trump because he's so, I mean, important people have a tendency to have a lot of emotional behavior, good or bad. So even when we say Trump, you know, that drives people's emotions and their bias. And, yeah. and they, and they are automatically say, well, well, I don't like this guy. I'm automatically turning him out. He likes That's Trump. Right. All, I, all I did was say Trump's name and I could have right. lost easily more than half your viewership or listenership. Yeah. But anyway, my point with Trump was, he was obviously a lightning rod long before he ever became president. But when he got, he and his wife tested positive. So I monitor on the internet, I monitor through Google uh, episodes of Schadenfreude every day, episodes of Tall Poppy Syndrome every day. So when Trump um, got tested positive for COVID, the Schadenfreude index on Google search hit the highest peak mm. that it had ever hit. So there were a mm. lot of people happy at Trump's misfortune. So that's a very good yeah. example of schadenfreude. Misplaced or not Interesting. misplaced. I, I like to, I like Shad to a certain extent, I like schadenfreude. I mean, in the LA, the 405 is one of the um, busiest freeways. And, you know, when you're going to work, a stop and go and a flood of red lights, hitting the brakes. And then there's always some jerk weaving through the traffic and not infrequently he has a fancy car, high-powered car. And, of course, he makes you hit the brakes and you drop the F-bomb or something to yourself. And then going up the freeway a few more miles, either he's been pulled over by the highway patrol or he's had a little fender bender, and there you see him on the side of the road. Vindication. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you've just experienced schadenfreude, and I can guarantee you right. <laughs> every time that happens, you're going to have your best day at work that you could ever have short of getting a promotion. So I think there's, yeah. there's a, you can't really, I mean, schadenfreude is driven by envy, but there's a certain light lightness to the good envy and seeing that justification. And, and you know, I don't think it's ever good to think ill will of people, even if it's Trump and he's got COVID. I, I just find that thinking right. something basic, intrinsically wrong with that concept. But I do say yeah. that I think a little benign, schadenfreude is is good for one's psyche but yeah. that's how that's also well, our, I, our I, society I, I, is our society is just laden with it now we, we see it every place and 
like you said earlier in our conversation, nobody's really aware of this in America that they're even doing it. Yeah, yeah, that brings me to me. I don't want to lose that point. That's that's why I would like to tie Schadenfreude in because Schadenfreude is a little bit more recognized than the tall poppy syndrome. But if you see Schadenfreude yeah. or you experience Schadenfreude, chances are there was the tall poppy syndrome preceding the Schadenfreude. They go hand in glove. And Richard Smith, who is one of our more recognized and acclaimed uh, emotional people. And he studies envy. He wrote a book on schadenfreude. And I don't think he was aware of the tall poppy syndrome, but most of the cases in his book of describing examples of schadenfreude all were being preceded by the tall poppy syndrome before the, the people actually then had the experience the schadenfreude, the happiness of somebody's failure. And that just cemented to me that here we have um, awareness, some awareness of schadenfreude, but we don't have awareness of tall poppy syndrome, which frequently precedes it. So you need to think if you see some happiness, if you experience some happiness about somebody's downfall, that's your first clue that you need to look further at what the context of this was and was the tall poppy syndrome involved and what is the context of the tall poppy syndrome and was it the cutter who had low self-esteem or was it an egregious tall poppy and what's your own bias and your feeling and why you had happiness from this and I can tell you that you'll grow from that experience the next time it happens to you I rarely yeah experience happiness at somebody's downfall i can tell you right now i don't care who it is i don't care if i have a great distaste for that person i just don't like to see bad things happen to bad people or good people yeah especially if you've experienced that yourself you should feel more empathetic in yes. nature towards yes. others when when it's happening to them you know the shock jock era you know it's it's really hit us hard and since since that time you know we've allowed ourselves to by authority be okay with us living the way we live today and it's kind of ties into uh a study done back in the 60s where they had a teacher and a learner stanley milgram is the person that did this study and the the teacher was the reason for this study basically the authority authority tells you to do something well you feel it's justified then because a white coat person told you to do this so how far will a society go and this 
was experiment based on the Nazi concentration camps and how they used the Jewish people to perpetrate a lot of these her horrendous acts against the Jews. So this is a good example of where they've put people against people, basically, that toothbrush thing. Well, why does he have a toothbrush? You know, and and they they've really had studies for a long time about the psychological issues and how we deal with emotional intelligence and the ability to sort out for ourselves is this right or is this wrong and why is it that we need authority to tell us if it's right or wrong when we already feel inside of ourselves that this is right or this is wrong well that that's there's two things I want to mention with that. That that actually becomes part of this self-righteousness that I'm talking about, which is uh, we're confusing the true moral authority and the study in talking about self-righteousness. And the other part, we're, those that's the near enemy and we're thinking that individualism and that we're as smart as they are not is not necessarily good thinking number one but here's here's the problem that we don't nobody seems to talk about there's the individual good and there's the public good so when you look at at covid for example the public policy sometimes is a butts against the individual policy. And they did not do a good job explaining the difference between the public good versus the individual right. For example, if if we didn't if we didn't come down hard on polio and make everybody take the polio vaccination, we would have never gotten to um, getting rid of polio because everybody had to be vaccinated in order to wipe the virus off the map, so to speak. So people forget that took us five years to get that vaccination. And the first vaccinations that we put out, the original company that did the research and development, they they made some mistakes too. It's just common when you're starting something new to have problems. That was worked through. Then, then the second problem came through when um, it was sent out to the other manufacturers to do it. And guess what? They weren't, which is frequently the case. Then they had to go through the learning curve of the original people. And then the secondary companies gave polio to people that had been vaccinated. So the public has to understand that sometimes that there are problems when we initiate anything new, that's why some tall poppies get cut down because they're so ahead of the curve and things aren't right, but they something adverse does happen and then people feel justified in cutting them down. But we, for me, even the abortion issue, 
you know, you're running, running up the kind of uh, feminism movement and the women's right. In the end, that may be true. They have the right to say no, first of all. But secondarily, if there can ever be a consensus, it becomes a public health problem of, of now do you have a person in their body and does that person have a right? So that becomes what I also call the public interest group and is sometimes in contradiction to the other movement or the other individual. So that's why that's why all these things are never as easy as some people think, and you can be too self-righteous and have to have an open mind and to listen to other views. Right now, we're not listening to it. We've lost confidence. We're kind of what you were saying, that the individual now, and it's hard to argue against it when you look at what's happening in our government. They're making many, many to a lot of people, bad decisions. I mean, the companies, countries become so diverse, we're not unified, so there's no way the government can win. So our prob our, one of our main problems and why the tall poppy syndrome is so prevalent is because we've lost trust in our government. And when the government loses trust in people, um, the government actually becomes a big cutter. And so when you when I look at our government, I think the most common cause of cutting in America is cutting by our, our government. And I think movements are the second most common cause. Then we get to the public and the peers. But if you take when I studied, you know, when you when you study a country like Japan, which is very egalitarian. But they have confidence in their leadership, and as the government moves, so does the public. And if you look at the Nordic countries, it's the same thing. They're all egalitarian. You know, they pay high taxes, but they assume that they're paying in and that everybody's going to share that equally and everybody's going to have a good retirement and good health insurance and things. And before they started having some immigration issues that, that held true, but in the end, it was because of trust that the people have that sort of righteous indignation that there's no indignation because they have trust in the leadership and in, you know, in your, whether it's in your local school district, in your local police force, uh, all the way up to the feds, we had, we had trust and we've lost that trust. To a certain extent, I suppose, even in the family, because we have in America, we have more single parents than we do um, yeah. combined parents. And so there's a certain moral authority, I think, that we don't even have within the family. And that's a huge problem, because as soon as you get into your school districts now, we don't have that moral authority. I mean, look at how we're fighting schools and we're actually going to tear It's really a shame because we're going to tear down the public school system. And that's the worst thing that can happen because then we'll become an elitist country. We'll have the rich go to the private schools and without a big population base, uh, the, the poor students will go end up in the public system. The public system won't be able to drive because they won't have enough money going into it. They won't get good teachers because good teachers don't want to go in with students that have no learning ability. 
I mean, I, I don't want to, there's a school district in Northern California that's just undergoing this very problem right now. I don't want to name it, but the, 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 the public school system is disintegrating. And that's happening now throughout our country. And the basic problem is trust. We don't trust our school board. We don't trust the teachers that are actually teaching. And that that's happening in our police forces, in our local government. Right. It's a terrible problem. So in the end, it's, um, it's a huge um, macrocosm of the tall poppy syndrome. Everything that's happening, I can boil down uh, um, into one form or another how it's a microplay on the tall poppy syndrome. It's a reflection, I think, of our society and I don't know why the tall poppy syndrome concept can't take off. I think we'd be better off as a country if we understood what we were doing to our country and ourselves. Because all this individual, yes. main the movements. I, I mean, it's like the internet. It, it's the internet was was had a lot of good things, but you know, it's it's becomes more and more me, and our country is becoming more and more me. It's not becoming. Yes more and more us it's becoming more and more boxes we're we're losing sort of what we have because there were our strength wrongs. yeah there there were some wrongs in it but we're emphasizing our wrongs and and they're being overemphasized and it's a, it's like they think it's a zero sum game that that uh, now they got to have their rights back and more rights because they lost rights and our rights are being diminished. And for goodness sake, America is a country of abundance, not scarcity, and it is not a zero-sum game. And in our country, there's plenty for everybody, and we should be making room for everybody. That's right. That's Amen. right. I agree 100%. <laughs> you know, Sorry. Doug, it, 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 it makes me think about the French Revolution and when Marie Antoinette let them eat cake and what what really happened is they raised all the little poppies up and cut the big poppies down and literally off with their heads and yeah. this 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 scares me because i i look at the parallels there between what america's going through right now and what was happening and, and and then you see in the media these things uh what was that uh purge the purge you know movies like this and the animosities towards one another and all of these facts are adding up to some sort of rendition or type of revolt and it's not looking good and both both sides here in america and all sides have added to this disflavor this disharmony and you know when we have our leadership up there on national tv during state addresses acting like children it's it's pretty bad yeah it's, and i agree it's scary. But it, what, what do you see, uh, 
what do you see coming down the road for us with this sort of tall poppy syndrome in America and people not being aware of what's actually happening? Well, so two points. First, the, my book is actually the world history of me looking at world history through the lens of the tall poppy syndrome. So I, I take the French Revolution or, you know, the kingdoms of England. I have Eleanor of Aquitaine. So I, and as I I like mm -hmm. Julius Caesar. So, of course, Caesar was tall poppied. So I go through these world events and, mo and, you know, I take various countries and look at the history of the country and show events and show how things evolve. So I actually do that looking through the tall poppy syndrome lens and there you know in medicine part of my book the first draft of the book was about a third of it was was um how to become a tall poppy and i and at that time i was doing it um there are 10,000 self-help books a year and it might be cooking, but I, I mean, if you look at our bestsellers and stuff, it's self-help. It's, it's, it's how to be a better person. Yeah. And I made the conscious decision at that time that that those weren't helping or why would a cook? I don't know how we can have so many cookbooks and, and they're always bestsellers one right after the other. There's only so many ways you can make a potato or something, but <laughs> it, um, I made the decision that th those books are very inspiring, and but there's no transformation. So I got out of I got out of that business. I threw that away, and I and I also came across Tolstoy and Anna Karina, and he he made the statement that all happy families are happy the same, and then all unhappy families are unhappy for different reasons so if you're doing self-help and you look at uh, the seven habits of highly effective people which is about the only i actually like the period when we went through emotional intelligence in the 90s i don't know why that died out but i wish it would come back but i mean i truly enjoyed the seven habits of highly effective people by stephen covey which somebody else did too because but last time I checked, it sold like 25 million copies. But anyway, there's only so many good things you can say about good things. It's like uh, how, how I can tell you how to live to a certain extent a long life, wear your seatbelt, don't eat salt, exercise. You know, there's 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 basic things that you can do. And so in medicine, we don't learn from healthy people. We learn from sick people, just like COVID, the advances we made through COVID, making the new type of virus, the NRA, the segments instead of the attenuated or the live virus and stuff. So I went back to the um, the medical model of I'm learning from disease, and we can't cure a disease if we don't know the disease. So we we have to know what the, you know, you're not going to kill diarrhea if you don't know the cause of the diarrhea. So you have to understand what's happening with any disease entity. So 
that that so my last draft of the book was completely different from the first draft which remember i mentioned the emphasis was i thought it was on individualism and i was going to describe that and our american history of that and how to be a tall poppy or probably a good individual but it took the opposite role of of a disease country a country full of the tall poppy syndrome and here's what that disease entity is and here's the emotional problems that make it up and if you understand the disease and you understand the emotional makeup you can understand what's happening in our country and how to rectify it and the tall poppy syndrome's not going to do that but it's one big step i can tell you that Yeah, uh, a lot of this, I've, I've heard you in other interviews state this. Uh, I find it interesting. Everybody, in my opinion, should aspire to be a tall poppy. And what our system and our approach is lacking is those tall poppies should aspire to lift and aspire the lower poppies up. And we lack that. I, I really think we do. No, I agree. So, no, I don't want to lose that. I agree with that. I dedicated my book to my four grandkids because I wanted them to know and understand that it was good to be a tall poppy. And I wanted them to yes. be tall poppies. That's the first part yes. of the equation. But the second part, you're absolutely right. Once you achieve that status, uh, your role not only should be to maintain that status in a non-egregious fashion, but then your duty becomes to elevate everybody else. And, yes. And as I say, there is a major. Right, that there is abundance. So you got there, and part of it is to help lift everybody else up. Yes, and, and you know what? What prevents that a lot of the time, and you stayed you state this in many of your interviews is low self-esteem the individuals that can't find or aspire to be a tall poppy it's tough to be a tall poppy you've got to work for it and our, well, our nation is a lazy nation it, it, it it's just a trend but well, if we teach them to do this and and we show them through you know our own actions they can emulate well so every time we find a step we should aspire to share that step with others well that's our um that brings up a good point in another direction um the the problem with the low self-esteem, they want to drag every, they first they cut the tall poppies down, but their MO is usually to keep everybody at their level. So the whole yes. drug industry is built on that. And that's actually kind of a kissing cousin to the tall poppy syndrome, which is crabs in the bucket. You don't need to put a lid on the bucket because as the crabs crawl up, there'll be other crabs grabbing at them and pulling them back down so interesting when you're when you're in i don't if you saw the wire which was a fantastic tv series of, of i did not drug industry in um 
in Baltimore and the young kids, mostly black, were in that industry. And, you know, how can they, nobody can leave once you're in a gang member, you can't, they won't let you get out, right? You get killed. Right. And so the, they keep everybody within that system. So you're right. The low self-esteem has a tendency to keep all the other players much. It's kind of the same concept uh, of your family, keeping everybody the same. And that's part of our, their MO. And unfortunately it's going into, into our country, uh, into our school system, that same craziness of, yes. of keeping of keeping people down instead of encouraging people up. I like yes. J.D. Vance. He wrote Hillbilly Elegy, and it was a bestseller. He came from Ohio into the Rust Belt. And there's a thing called ACE scores, Adverse Childhood Experiences. So that comes that's a very medical term and unfortunately that's not known in america and if we understood that concept we would be very very more empathetic towards each other but a stance is yeah. adverse child experiences and it has to do if you come with a divorced family if you come with somebody doing drugs in a family if somebody's in been incarcerated if somebody has an unwanted unwed pregnancy so you have these ne these negative forces in growing up and if you there were originally 10 i think there's like 20 now but like if you have three of those you're not going to have any self-esteem and you're not going to get out of out of this system that was created in your childhood jd vance he, he's running for senate now in ohio hillbilly elegy he he crawled out of that and to me it was a wonderful wonderful um biography of his struggles to escape that and i don't even yes. think he, he knew what ace was but as a kid he figured it out his mother was was divorced and doing drugs and she married again and brought in a second family and that second family was all low self-esteem kids. And of course, they tried to drag J.D. Vance down to their level as well, doing criminal activities and stuff. And he had the foresight to move in with his grandmother and, and get out of that environment. And that's really what saved him. But it's a fascinating story of kind of the concept of you're talking about, but the low self-esteem and the crabs in the bucket, which actually there's a a series on one of the cable or streaming channels. I think it's now in a second or third season on crabs in a bucket, but it's about the same concept. And and I I, th I have never watched that, but I think getting that syndrome out, if they're doing it correctly, and eventually segueing into the tall poppy syndrome, that maybe maybe people will see some of the light and not being negative and thinking on the positive side of the virtues. You don't have to, or emotions, you don't have to know the virtue, but if you think about positive envy, which is what you're talking about, emulation, seeing somebody better and improving yourself and, and not only do you lift yourself then, but a rising tide lifts all boats. So you're going to lift America with it. That's right. Yeah. I love it. 
you know, I, I'm I'm living proof myself. I, I came from that lowest self-esteem family, and I, I noticed as I started to aspire to climb out of that myself, my family they don't really hang out with me anymore. They don't like to talk to me because when I talk to them, I want to lift them up. And apparently they're not ready to do that. So it's a game you have to play, but you can do it. You've got to aspire to be better than what you think you can be and then reach for that. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what type of people you are hanging around right now. If you aspire to be better and you work on it, you'll figure it out and you'll do it. And that comes to the point of you're either a lazy person or you're an ambitious person. What do you want to do in the world? And don't allow others to tell you what to do with your life. Experiment, educate yourself, and transition into something that's inspiring for others. Dr. Garland, do you have any call to action for our listeners today? Um, well, naturally, read my book, but uh, you don't have to... It's be good to read my book, but if you actually just went to the website, Doug Garland, D-O-U-G-G-A-R-L-A-N-D.com, and the book will come up on the website, click on it. And if you just click on the reviews, uh, you'll understand what the book is. I mean, the, the reviewers frequently say it's a self-help book. So you, you need to start somewhere. The audio book, I had a very wonderful guy read the book i mean all this was new to him it was one of his hardest things there's a lot of medical terms a lot of foreign terms in it it's kind of a semi-intellectual book but he he became a real convert to it and he because it took him so long to be able to read it i mean he had to do a lot of research every time he'd read 10 pages of what he was really reading so he really got into it and that's i think that's a trans transformation that the book has that I was looking for that I wasn't seeing in the bestsellers. It's not a bestseller, but I think it's a, it's a transforming book. It's a transforming concept. And I think most people that read it, keep an open mind will be better off for it. I'm, I mean, even when I, it, in when I wrote the last paragraph, which was one of my favorites was, you know, what's required or what's the books to read. And the problem I had was I couldn't say any books. I I forget how many I said I read. I read a lot. One year I read 50 books. But, you know, it took me five years to write. And if you're going to write, you have to read a lot. So I did a tremendous amount of reading. But, the, I mean, a historical reading, books on emotions, everything. And, and the problem is there's no book like my book and even the research is not like my book. The problem with psychology research or doing like the study that you talked about in the classroom where they take a situation and they 
try and do a twist to something to almost trick the person. And those, for me, are never good studies because that's not how society works. You just want to take a township and look at how much tall poppy syndrome occurs in that town, not tricking people and yeah. telling them you're testing them because as soon as you That's do right. that stuff, you create a bias. So yes. because of that, most I didn't even like most of the psychological studies, which this is a psychological social entity. Uh, so there was really no one book that I felt you could go to kind of as your guide to read that. And I hope that uh, mine kind of filled that need, that emptiness that's out there. And so, you know, skim, just skimming, I think the reviews will help people. So if you do that, I, I, and you, we touched on it. I, I mean, it's really talking emotional intelligence. So we had the yes. movement, early movement in the 90s, whether emotional intelligence was more important than IQ intelligence. And in getting along in life, it is. And that message yes. has gone, got lost. It didn't get carried through. And, and I'm trying to reemphasize now where our society is and how this self-righteousness has replaced righteous indignation and our emotional configuration is very wrong presently. And we need to get yes. on the positive side of the emotions. I actually, like, I really agree. I, I with like, that. I like religion, but I don't want to get too religious. Uh, you know, we've one of our problems in America is I feel uh, that we're not. We've lost uh, religion, and religion helps you find the meaning of life. I actually have a chapter dedicated to the meaning of life because I felt that was that was um, the tall poppy syndrome is a, in the end a quest for the meaning of life the tall poppy is is growing to something and my guess yes. is what true tall poppies don't have to ask themselves what the meaning of life is to a certain extent their journey right. help find them and it's the other group that's cutting people down and stuff those are the people in the desert that are still looking and they Thirsty. need some they need some direction yeah yeah, I, I really do believe that myself. You know, I, I don't preach, I teach, but right. uh, I really do believe that our morals are out of whack. And the only way to get them back in is through great conversation like this and the ability to let individuals tell you what they aspire what their ideas are what they think because i already know what i think getting getting that's easy but to allow yourself to grow by understanding others that's the diversity we talked about earlier in our conversation that grew america that allowed us to grow uh, carnegie you know these these great figures that built America, they took chances. They they did not allow others to show them the way. They forged a path. They grew themselves. And that's really the meaning of life to me. Get out and do something. Make that path 
and make it worth living. Yeah, I studied those. Oh. I studied the robber barons. So they're they're the yes. copies, and and they also did exactly what I said uh, was necessary of that group. Almost all of them, you know, gave all their money back sooner or later. They I yes, mean, that's Carnegie right. Was a bad guy, but he turned into a great guy, and and I actually. You can't tell rich people what to do, but I, I mean, for me, doing the library system was one of the best things that yeah. any altruist could have ever done to America. So well, I, I do like that group uh, a lot. They were true yeah. tall copies. But you know, our biggest problem is between our own ears. That's what you were trying to say, but you That's didn't right. really say it. That's right. That, that our biggest enemy, we have met the enemy, and the Pogo said we have met the enemy, and the enemy is I, meaning that our That's biggest right. problem is between our ears. We think we're so self-righteous now. We are a country of self-righteousness. I don't know how we got this way. We're not individually individualist anymore. We're self-righteous, which is a big difference. And we the self-righteous... I mean, that's what's happening in universities. They will not let anybody in between their ears, and we're not going to change unless we can open up ourselves. That's and right. So, so you have to you have to have a yin and a yang. Interesting enough, Doug. I, I was in Walmart a few months back, and I live in a very small town, and my local librarian happens to be partially involved with the school and the multiple different positions. And she said, I don't know what you're doing, but trying to change things around here, it's not going to work. We've been doing it this way for 40 years and that's how it's going to maintain for the next 40 years. Just, well, interesting. That's a good way to see life. And that that's a good way to keep people in the dark. Because yeah. a, a rolling stone gathers no moss. But if you're setting, you're, you're covered with moss and you can't see the light of day. <laughs> so... How can people get a hold of you and connect and get more information about you, Doug? Uh, the best is my website, which I mentioned. And the best way, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, to learn about the tall poppy syndrome, you don't have to follow me on um, Twitter, but I tweet out. I, I just go in bursts. I may I essentially tweet out every day but i may do three today or three or four tweets in a day but i tweet examples of the tall poppy syndrome which is essentially what the book was about only with the historical perspective of you know you know the people that write history are usually the victors and they have a point of view so most of the people if you read the reviews enjoy the history perspective and looking at history in a different light which is what I did. And so the, you know, my take on an article in a newspaper may well be very, article is going to be very different than what you read into the article. So I think just looking at uh, my tweets, it 
at Tall Poppy Book um, is a very easy way to segue into my thinking and the Tall Poppy Syndrome. And if you like that, then probably you would like the book. But I think anybody that reads the book, I think will be a better person for it. It's a real growth book. All right. That's the best. Well, I, I I really enjoy what you're doing, and it's powerful, meaningful, and we need more people actually addressing these issues in our world today. Thank you so much for doing that for us, and thank you so much more for being part of the Dead America podcast. It's my pleasure. My pleasure getting to meet you and be part of Oregon. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon wherever you may be.